This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we're joined by two men who are going to experience some milestone first this year. Jeff McComb will finally get to coach his first game as head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush. And J.P. Keeley's first year away from lacrosse will be spent with NASCAR? All that more on OTCB. I am an My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the shame of the year right there. Oh wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots and he's gone! Thanksgiving to all of us up here above the 49th. Really is fall, isn't it? As soon as, you know, mid-September comes around, the leaves start to really change, the weather changes, rains come, gray skies come, the days are longer, or shorter, the nights are longer. It's a tough time for a lot of us. It is. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com. Funny, email me here at the show. Find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or on Instagram, OTCB Podcast. We'll speak with Jeff McComb of the Saskatchewan Rush and JP Keeley of the Chip Ganassi Racing Team. That's right, you heard me. If you haven't heard, I think I talked about this a little while ago. Um, but I first heard about it like two, three months ago, maybe late summer, that J.P. Keeley was going to hang up the gear and take his run with a NASCAR pit team. Couldn't believe my ears when I heard it, but it is true. And we'll talk to J.P. about the decision, the process, what it all entails, how different is it um, in a little bit. But it was a bit of a slow news week in the National Cross League. Not a lot going on right now until camps ramp up. Um, Halifax announced the return of the Orange-Purple game on the 30th. Um, but not really else sort of going on. Um, again, camps will start that first weekend of November, end of October. 
And teams have to have their rosters down to 25 by the 21st of November. And games get started right after that. So um, just a lot of roster positioning and moving around of guys, whether they're being put on draft lists or holdout lists, um, pop lists, whatever. Um, that's been the majority of the movement over the last little while. There have been some, ma- not major signings, but some good signings or some needed signings, let's say. Um, by teams just to get guys locked up under contract so that they can indeed attend camp. Uh, the biggest newsmakers this week uh, was the return of Kyle Rubish to the rush along with Mike Messenger to the rush. Um, the Firewolves get John Luke Chetner for a year. Uh, Mammoth lock up Zed Williams for a year, which was key. Uh, Banesh and Hossack one year with Panther City. Rambo one year with Philly. Countage three years with Vancouver. Um, so again, not a whole lot in terms of news from the NLL. We, we don't have a TSN deal or uh, schedule yet, broadcast schedule yet. Um, we don't have a, an American broadcast deal partner announced yet, but again, coming soon. Sooner than later, but not later, but soon. Um, but yeah, that's... Sort of the th- those are the main things we're waiting for. We're waiting for the TSM broadcast schedule. We're waiting for the American pro- broadcast partner to be announced, um, and hopefully, no bad news regarding CBA stuff. Um, we talked with the commissioner last week, and he had mentioned that the union and the league are constantly in contact. And they were supposed to be having meetings in the last few days, so we're going to try to get to the bottom of that as best we can over the next week, and maybe. Uh, talk to someone from the PA next week just to see what's happening because obviously that is a very important thing going into the season. And after being off for near 600, over 600 days when we start back up on December 3rd, it would be vital that we are indeed acting under a certified and ratified and mutually agreed upon CBA. Because... There is no way this league can afford to not be playing a season. It has been far too long. And so hopefully we can get that deal done and both sides can agree on the majority of things because they never eventually are going to agree on everything, right? Safe to say they're not going to agree on everything that either side requests, asks, or would like to see happen. If they can find some middle ground and they can get the majority of those things kind of signed off on and agreed upon and moving forward and then we'll be in good hands and we can start playing games first weekend of December. Remember, if you want to look your best for those games, nllshop.com in the US or fanatics.ca up here in Canada. Get yourself all of your NLL team gear. New look Firewolves, Roughnecks, Panther Cities there. Maybe you want to get yourself a Seals jersey. Maybe you want to get yourself a Roughnecks hat. Who knows? Head over to the websites, fanatics.ca, nllshop.com, and get all your merch needs now so that when it comes to the home opener, you'll be looking the best. I had mentioned that, you know, This is a tough time of year uh, for a lot of people, um, myself included. 
And this sort of thought process was kind of brought to my attention through another, you know, angle of my life and chat forums and stuff like that about, you know, the state of mental fatigue when it comes to the fall. And I am one of those people that when it starts to rain and get dark and cloudy and miserable out, I tend to hibernate and I tend to become more introverted. And I know a lot of other people are this way too. It's just the nature of the beast. And with everything that's been going on over the past year and a half, we are all very exhausted. And I just want everybody to know that if you ever need anything, you can always reach out to somebody. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be someone you're related to. It can be anybody. If you can just find the strength to reach out and tell somebody that you're not doing well, that you're struggling, that you need some help. You just need someone to talk to. They don't even need to respond. Sometimes we as people become so scared of letting our emotions out that we hold those things in. And so when we get those opportunities just to let them out, sometimes you don't need the answers. Sometimes you just need to truth puke and get things off your chest and off your mind to relieve that weight. And during the next month and a half leading through Christmas and Thanksgiving, it's very emotionally draining for everybody. And it's mentally very heavy. And for me, some of the things that help um, are vitamin D supplements. And I'm not pushing drugs or anything like that, but like literally I take like 5,000 milligrams of vitamin D every day or more just because it helps me get that little energy boost that kind of gets me going in the morning. Um, I like to write things down. Even just little notes or journal entries. Even drafts of like tweets that I would just say if I had a completely different, you know, account. But overall, I just want people to know that the next month and a half are going to be okay. You're going to make it. And I know some days are longer and harder than others. But just keep your head up. Keep breathing. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And reach out to somebody whenever you feel the weight is too heavy. Because that is often the hardest part. Is being able to find the strength to say... I could use your help or could you just listen or am I crazy for thinking this? So I hope you all have someone like that in your lives that you can reach out to because I'm glad that I have people that I can reach out to. So I don't know why today felt like the day, day I needed to say that maybe because it's not that busy of a news week, but just with everything that's going on in the world, and in everybody's lives as we go through this, you know, quiet stretch of things. I just hope you're do, all doing okay. I haven't seen many of you in a very, very long time. And I really hope you're all okay. So let's move on from that and go to some awesome news. Some great stuff. Um, Jeff McComb has been 
the heir apparent to Derek Keenan for quite some time. We all knew that when Derek was ready and able and comfortable with the thought of moving on from the NLL or just coaching, that Jeff McComb would be his likely successor in Saskatchewan. And on like August 2020, sometime around there, late summer, the decision was finally made that Derek would relieve his duties as head coach and take on the role of just general manager. Just slowly stepping himself back from the daily things and kind of closer to retirement. Well, Jeff McComb never got to coach his first game that year because the pandemic didn't let him. And so now he's had to wait like all those rookies from last year's class to finally get his first training camp and his first game as head coach under his belt. It's going to be a very exciting time. And he has an incredible group of players that he's obviously very familiar with, but are all very eager to get the job done. Dating back to 2013, with Derek Keenan at the helm of this organization, they have been at the top of the West Division standings when the regular season does. It will be Jeff McCombs' first chance to continue that legacy, and it could be the last chance for many of this core group to end this legacy with a championship. And he thinks they've got what it takes. This is Jeff McComb, head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush, right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by the quote-unquote new head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush. That was, you know, before the pandemic happened. He's Jeff McComb. How are you, brother? Great. How are you, Teddy? Uh, I am fantastic. Uh, does it seem like forever ago that the decision was made that you would be the new head coach of the Rush? Yeah, it does. Um... It, 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 I said I was joking around with some, some people in the summer and that saying I'm the first guy ever to go zero and zero in his first year. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, I, I either have a lot to live up for or I did a pretty good job. I'm not sure which. Yeah. One. Right. Um, was that was that sort of always the plan um, for you to be the successor of Derek when, when the time came? Uh, you know, we we generally talked about it um, and. I had hoped that that was the case. And I think, you know, Derek had kind of indicated that would be the case, but it all kind of came together fairly quickly when he, like, I think he finally made up his mind and decided this is what I want to do. So, and we, again, it had been discussed over a period of a couple, two, three years, but it, it always seemed like it was going to be down the road sometime. But um, I think with everything going on, like that Derek had going on in his life, he decided it was time for him. And, uh, uh, I'm happy to hopefully pick up where he left off and keep moving this bus forward. You and him have been joined at the hip for quite some time. Um, how closely are you, how close are you guys both on and off the, the floor? Um, definitely like philo- philosophy wise, we're very close on the floor. And I think we worked it out a while ago. We've either done, I think 17 seasons between box and like a summer box and NLL together. Mm-hmm. So, and then off the floor, yeah, we chat. Like he wa- he's a big Blue Jay fan, so we chat and text back and forth about Blue Jays and other stuff and that kind of thing. So, but he has his own stuff. Like he he loves to fish and he loves to get out in the boat. Where I have the younger family, so we're a bit different points in our life and that type of thing. But um, still talk like multiple times a week about different stuff. 
Um, when the news was announced, you also announced that you're bringing back uh, your good buddy and my good buddy, Jimmy Quinlan, uh, onto the bench. Um, how nice will it be to have Q back there with you guys? I think it was really important for Derek and for me, too, that if we were going to do this, that's the guy that we wanted to have come back and somebody that we're comfortable with, somebody we're familiar with, somebody that knows our group, knows what our expectations are, and above all, is a really, really smart lacrosse guy. Mm -hmm. Does he so we're, chirp we're, from the bench? No, not as much. He <laughs> chirps our own guys from the bench. But, and he likes to chirp the other coaches from the bench, but uh, like us from the bench. But no, Jim, Jimmy's been good that way. Like he, he knows his role and knows where he's at. And um, he, he brings that energy. He brings that, you know, vibrance to the room that it, everybody loves. And it's an integral part of really who, who the Rush have been and who we will be going forward. Uh, you guys are going for your seventh straight West Division title. Um, how fun of a run has it been with this group since you've been coming on? You know, they were the Edmonton Rush, now the Saskatchewan Rush, and they've just continued on this run of success. Um, how cool has it been to be a part of it all? It's been awesome. We like to uh, jerk uh, Derek's chain, Jimmy and I, by saying, you know, like the 14-0 and run and all the changes started when we came on board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but obviously Derek had put all the pieces in place and, you know, um, it's been an amazing run and it's been amazing to watch the group mature. It's been amazing to kind of be able to add pieces to it and just to be involved in something where we've had that high level and the expectations and be, been able to meet them most of the times has been, you know, from a professional point, it's probably it obviously been the best part of my professional career. Obviously, you know, your philosophies may be different and your coaching styles may be different, but the message will still be the same as it has been in years past. But what is your philosophy as a head coach? How do you think you'll differ from Derek? Um, that's a good question. I think that we're so intermeshed by the, mm -hmm. by the time, you know, we've done the 16, 17 years together. I think there'll be some small differences. I think practice structure, you know, I probably... Derek got really comfortable and the guys got really comfortable with kind of what we were doing at practice. But I think we want to introduce some new things in, in that sense. But in terms of playing style, I don't think you'll see a substantial difference of how we play. We still, we want, we want, we know that our defense is our calling card. That's where we're going to start. We're going to pressure. We're going to, you know, and then on offense, the same things we've always done. We're, you know, we're not a one man show on offense. We want all five guys on the floor involved in the offense. We want to move the ball from side to side and we want to look for, get looks right in the center of the floor that's kind of what we've always been right so i don't think any of that stuff is going to change going forward uh you mentioned uh your workhorse defense uh this week you guys announced signing of rubish and messenger to contracts uh you've got corbs signed up you got dilksy and and, and cornwall like your decor has been intact for the last five or six years um how integral is that experience to the future of this club well, you know, kudos to Derek for putting all the pieces together because we weren't, you know, if we were sitting here having this conversation nine months ago, I don't think we would have been 100% certain that everybody was coming back and that we'd get everybody back. And it, it, it hurt to lose Matt Hosick in the expansion. You know, you have to lose somebody, but Matt, you know, was a up and coming integral player with our group too. But um, having Corbs's leadership, having Rubes's leadership, having Delksy there, Jeff Cornwall, they, they just know the system inside and out. They know what we want. I had a really good call, for example, with Corbs last night, just on some of the nuances of the defense that we're looking at. And, you know, his knowledge of it and his, 
he can explain it as a player back to me is here's what I'm seeing as a player. I'm not sure we want to do this because here's what my thought process would be like that stuff is invaluable. When you look at this group, um, did you feel the need to get a piece like Matt Beers or was that essential for you guys or was that just, you know, a little icing on the cake? Um, I, we've always been a group that, you know, we pressure and everything, but we've really kind of lacked that gritty, you know, I don't want to go out and play against that guy type of guy where the sandpaper and like, he's good. He's potentially going to, you know, make me hurt when I go back to the bench type of guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of always had our eye on that. And when Matt potentially came available as a free agent and we saw that, Vancouver, I think, had franchise Mitch Jones, which means Matt would at least get a chance to probably hear people on the at the free agency time. We said, yeah, that's somebody we'd like to target. And I know that talking to our leadership group, because Corbs had played with them, Churchy's played with them, Team Canada's, that type of thing, Roos, mm -hmm. they were a guy they were really excited about having in our room as well as a guy. So that yeah, made it I, a pr pretty easy decision to go out and try to target <laughs> that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look at the way your roster is built, you know, you have size, you have speed, and maybe Beersy brings a bit of a different toughness to that back end, like you said. Absolutely. And I think that's what we, we not that we were missing, because I think we've been a fantastic <laughs> yeah. defense, yeah. but I think it, it can only enhance what we were doing. Um, and, and Matt does a lot of other things too. Like he's a great leader. He, he does just doesn't bring a physical, you know, presence. He's also good with the ball, like everything that kind of a rush defender, you know, we like in a rush defender. He, he kind of fits that bill. So. Over the years, you guys have had consistent goaltending. You've had Aaron Bold, you've had, or you've had Evan Kirk and, you know, sure. Some people might say that your defense has made your goaltending. Um, I, I don't really believe that all the time. Um, but sometimes that obviously shows the case. But now you have Adam Shute in net. Um, he's going to be your guy. Uh, he is still looking to find the steady role of being a number one. How does your defense prepare to play for a goalie that they really haven't played in front of a lot? You know, it, we had some good conversations with our leadership group on that and and coaching staff and everything. And we have all the confidence in the world in Adam. Like, I, I think it was 2018 where uh, Kirky got hurt for pulled a groin. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he missed six or seven games and Adam stepped in and we basically had a seamless transition. And I, you know, I, Adam's done a, a great job of being a great teammate and a great backup, but I think it, he's ready to be a number one. And uh, we have all the confidence in the world in him that he's going to do the job back there. So uh, I think he's a similar goalie than we played before. I think he likes to challenge a little bit more than, say, Kirky did. So we'll have to be a little bit more aware of that on our creases and um, taking some stuff away behind the net, I think. But overall, I don't think we're going to change much of what we do in, in front of him um, because he's also been in our organization for mm -hmm. and again i don't mean to slight adam but i think it's six years now um uh in terms because i can't remember exactly how long he's been but it's been a you know yeah. a number of years that he's been with us and so he understands the systems he knows where we're coming from he knows um uh, you know kind of the expectations we have of our goalies as well so i don't think there's going to be a large transition there i was talking with bob watson uh the other day and just do you think defenses set up for goaltenders or do you think goaltenders set up defenses? I think it depends on the team, to be honest with you. Like, I think from our perspective, we probably set our defense up and then had our, hopefully our, our goalies can translate to it or make some tweaks to their natural style mm -hmm. that suits our defense. Where I, 
you know, and I'm maybe talking off the cuff here, but if I look at Colorado, I would say Colorado's tailored their defense around Dylan Ward. Right. Right. So I think it's kind of team team specific in most cases. Um, obviously, this will be a very different training camp. You're going to have two draft classes coming in for the most part. You know, you got Marshall Palace, you got McClellan, Bobby Kidd III from, from two years ago. Um, you're not going to have Barnable. You're not going to have Boudreaux for this year. But ha- as a coach, how do you game plan around, you know, the difference of rookie classes coming in? Well, first of all, we're, we've never been a big believer in large camps. We've always mm-hmm. brought, like, 25 28 29 guys to camp and we're certainly bringing more this year so planning around that has been a little different um planning uh around guys that you know you've drafted but some of them we really haven't seen play that much right like we're going off older tape and where they're at and so we're excited to kind of see where that at they're at and you know it's we do have some roles open we certainly have a couple probably active roster spots open we probably have um most of our practice roster spots open that we want to have competition for so um planning around that and then we all we joke too most of these guys haven't played in two years so like the first night of camp might be a 45 minute stretch (laughs) before we get into too much of anything right like maybe we'll just chat the first night with everybody (laughs) the way it's gone for two years so we'll see um, Benny McIntosh is out. Uh, he was part of that trade for Josh Courier. So you're getting Courier in, but you're also, you know, you guys got like Mike Mallory and Tristan Rye and Danny Lintner coming in. Um, it's going to be a bit of a new look offense and, and your offense is very systematic. Um, how long do you think it'll take those guys to kind of pick things up and, and get into the flow? Um, it's going to take some time. It always has with a, a new group. Um, you know, Lintner played in the offense when we coached him in junior for three, four years. So um, hopefully he'll have, still have some familiarity with it. Um, I think Josh Courier plays exactly the type of lacrosse that we love and is tailored to our offense. I think he does a lot of what we'd want him to do on offense and it's instinctively. And in Mallory, we're adding a bigger body on that right side that we've always kind of wanted to add a bigger body. So um, I've heard nothing about but good things about him and mm-hmm. his ability to adapt. And so it, it certainly is a learning process. I know a lot of the guys that have come in and we've taught over the years have like have never really done it this way before. So it takes it does take some time. Um, and we're certainly looking to always adapt, develop and add to what we've done previously. So does Jeff Shatler uh, either A, get tired or B, get old? I hope not on both <laughs> counts. <laughs> He, you know, I think um, the last full year that we had, Jeff, and Jeff will admit this too, he probably came into camp a little bit out of shape and a little bit like complacent and recognized right away, oh, geez, I'm a little bit out of shape here. But, you know, by the time the season wound down, um, he was right back where he had been, like in a huge contributor for us and kind of doing all that dirty work on the left side and scores the goal that kind of comes out of the middle of nowhere for you. And every, and everybody, including the guys on the bench go, Oh my God, he did that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and then add stuff in loose balls and transition to defense and all, all those stuff that he still adds. So we're still looking forward to that with Jeff, but I, I, I know we've had conversations with him and Jeff knows he's on the backside, yeah. but um, he's, doing amazing stuff in Saskatchewan with his uh, company and the lacrosse that he's bringing there to the kids. So he's an integral part of our group and, and we're counting on him this year for at least one more year of the usual Jeff Shatler that we get. 
Um, people may not see it when watching games, but how much of a, a vocal leader is Mark Matthews in that locker room and, and, and in that offense? Like in, like most teams, when you're best player, they have some pull and they have some sway, right? Like as soon as if that's your mantle and, and Mark is he's quiet. He's not a huge vocal leader in the room. He says stuff, but it, he, the thing about Mark is when you meet him, he's happy go lucky. And he, he doesn't maybe seem like, Oh, he's the guy that is the nitty gritty X and O's guy. But other than probably myself, he's the guy that knows our offense the best. And he knows the reads and he knows now he doesn't always do them because those great players tend to do that. They'll go off script and see what they see. But like, in if you ask him, what did you see here? What happened here? Like, he knows exactly what we're doing on offense every time out. Mm-hmm. We've actually had to go the other way and say, Mark, just go play for a little bit. You don't have to run like we're not don't need to run a play every time or see a, a light that you see um, on this time. You don't have to run it exactly the next time. We can right. just go play for a bit. Um, and in terms of you know leadership in the room, definitely like he's great. Um, soft skills, I'll use that term. So like getting the guys together off the floor, making sure that we're together as a group, um, communicating with guys that way. He, he's one of our leaders in that area and has really developed over the years into that, a mature leader for us. So, you know, years, we signed him for three years, so we don't know how long we're going to have Corbs and Roof for because they've signed for a year. But mm-hmm. if, if that's the transition, we'd be perfectly comfortable with that and with Mark in that role. Do you... Uh... I've kind of been saying this for the last few years, just watching how Derek has built the club and the timeline of your group. Is the window for this group slowly closing? I would say for this group, if you're talking about this group of guys, but I wouldn't yeah. say that we're closing for the rush. Right. Yes. Yeah. Not, this group of guys. Yeah. For this group of guys, I definitely think so. I mean, with our sport, right, we're not um, full-time players. You're not. So we got the other kind of personal life that pulls the strings at times here too, right? I think most of our guys would say, yeah, if I didn't have anything, you know, outside of this lacrosse kind of experience, I'd be here for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'd finish my career with the rush. But I think there's other considerations. Guys have new families. They have jobs. They have, you know, they've been flying to the West Coast for 10, 12, 14 years, right? Some and they got to make decisions which, which are best for them. And we completely understand that. And we've, we're planning for that. And we kind of know that. Um, and we're going to do everything that we can to convince them to stay because this group has been so amazing together. But I mean, as you mentioned at the start, like I think we have a great young nucleus on the back end. Um, you know, we have Garland that's already there. We have McClellan that's coming in. Mess isn't that old, right? We have the draft picks, kid. We have the two from this year, Boudreaux. Like, I think we have a, a really good mix still at the back end if some of those guys at the back end decide to move along. Um, it will be uh, well over 600 days between games for you guys and every other National Lacrosse League team when you get set to play on December 4th, that rematch in Halifax. Um, does that game still resonate for you from the shortened season, that just back and forth? epic overtime battle with the with the Thunderbirds yeah I, I know I, I see people comment and say that was one of the games of the year and it, it was a little bit craziness when we were involved in it at the time but I look I look back at it and say there's no way it should have got to where it got we were up, <laughs> right? we were up 11-2 or 11-3 or yeah. whatever it was right like there's no way that should ever come close to going to overtime or be it with all the stuff that happened in overtime there um the, the one takeaway that I did take away with from Halifax and looking forward to going back. It, it was a great atmosphere, like great arena, great city. 
um, fan, you, you could see even during the course of that game, people going, oh my God, this is awesome. Mm. right um this this i'm coming back right and that was one of the things i think we talked to some of the halifax folks after that game was like people weren't sure before they're definitely sure now after watching that yeah it's kind of like they weren't sure on saskatchewan and the first game has been a sellout and every other game has been a sellout since they're very akin to each other small markets maybe not hotbeds but they just absolutely love the sport and they love the action yeah. And, uh, you know, for us, I think as coaches and players and, you know, we love the sport, number one, but getting to play in front of people and, you know, being in that big building and having that atmosphere is something that we've all missed. Uh, you'll play at home on December 11th against Calgary if you're a home opener. Um, but as the season goes on, you, you kind of are road warriors for that middle section of the year. How key will that five of six at home to end the season be for you guys, especially in a hunt for a playoff spot and in a hunt to win your seventh, eighth straight division? Uh, sarcastically, I'll say, I hope it doesn't matter. I hope we're already clinched. Yeah. But <laughs> the reality is that uh, um, with the teams in the West Division in particular, I think most of them have got better um, since we last played. Um, and we're we're going to have a great challenge to be able to hold on to kind of where we're at at the top. Everybody wants to knock the person at the top off. And we're kind of that. I would still say, argue that Calgary is that. They're the last champions. So um, we're going to get back there and repeat and having five or six at home at the end of the season can only help. So and it allows you to get into your routines. It allows guys to know exactly when they're flying out, flying in, comfortable with hotels, comfortable with where they're getting meals, all that kind of stuff. And obviously the home floor advantage in Sask is amazing. Uh, you guys will start camp first weekend in November. Yes, we are starting first weekend in November. I think we go, I think guys are flying in on the Thursday for some medicals. And then we have uh, Friday and a couple Saturday, I think, to start with. And then we're in Toronto the next weekend and have a couple exhibition games. Well, it'll be here sooner than you know it, my friend. Uh, it's been a long time, and I know you can't get wait, can't wait to get back to it. And I know the players and fans can't wait either. Uh, Jeff, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Be safe, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Teddy. There he is, the head coach of the Saskatchewan Rush with an overall coaching record of zero and zero. Perfect so far in his career. Um, Jeff McComb. It's interesting to hear him talk about the addition of Matt Beers in the fact that they feel that they needed sort of a tougher edge to them. When guys like Rubish and Corbs and Messenger are just machines out there. The fact that they felt that Beers was a guy that could help them in a needed edge of toughness is a little surprising to me. But obviously, this is an offensive group that can now send out a fivesome of Dilks, Beers, Corbeil, Rubish, and Messenger, or Cornwall. Like, that's scary to think of. That's a scary five D-man set. And if they can play a physical, up-tempo brand of defense as they always do, and Adam Shute can give them consistent, confident, strong minutes of play, then absolutely the rush will be in contention to win that ninth straight 
regular season West division title. That's unheard of to win that many in a row. Especially in this day and age when, you know, guys are leaving after a few years and stuff like that. You know, it's tough to keep rosters together. But kudos to Jeff and all the kudos to Derek Keenan for getting getting these guys to buy into the future plan of this organization, you know, for the last decade. It has been very fun, you know, from an outside non-biased perspective slash former Rush player. It has been extremely fun to watch the dominance of this team and how Derek Keenan continually fills the cupboards with young stocks of talent. And you heard Jeff say it, you know, sure, the this core group of guys might be moving along, but they got the likes of McClelland, Bobby Kidd III, Boudreaux, and Barnable all knocking on the door. And not a single one of those guys is a slouch. So they may not have Rubish and Corbeil and Messenger. Oh, Messenger will be around for them, But they don't have Rubish, Corbeil, Dilks around for much longer. But what they have coming up the ranks just continues to keep them in the conversation. Um, so appreciate Jeff hopping on and giving us a few moments. Uh, I know he's been working with Tracy Klusky in the Evolve program. Uh, his son was playing with them, and, and they said they had a great time throughout the summer just kind of playing some lacrosse with his kid. Um, so he's he's in full game mode. He's itching and ready to get back at it. Uh, so excited to see them play that opening game December 4th in Halifax. And you know what? I, I, I do like his comments about that game from last year about, you know, how everyone thought it was the game of the year just because of the dramatics of Halifax coming back, um, you know, the goals that were disallowed in overtime, all the dramatics of it and how it finished. Yes, an unbelievable game. But, but from a Saskatchewan standpoint, he's right. It never should have gotten there. It never should have gotten there from 11-3. And it's interesting to me, again, from an outsider's perspective, that when you're in that moment and you have the home side going on this unprecedented run to get back in the game, right? They have all the momentum. The home side's on their side, going nuts with every goal, every possession, every hit. And... During that run, can you call a timeout? Absolutely. Can you slow things down? But this is where parts of my brain start to ask questions. And the question becomes, why not try to slow momentum down and put Adam Shoot in for Evan Kirk? Even give Adam Shoot 30 seconds. Put him in, take him out. Try to slow the, that momentum down. Give him Kirky a drink of water, quick breath, and then they can switch. But it never happened. It never happened. And yes, Evan Kirk annually is always going to be in contention for goalie of the year. He's one of the best goaltenders in our game right now. But when runs like that are happening, 
sometimes you just, as a coach, you have to find a, try and process that. And that's not always an easy thing to process. But they never wavered in keeping Evan Kirk in the net. And so my brain goes to the thought process of maybe they don't have the confidence in Adam Shute. And yes, for years, Adam Shute has been a backup. And that one year, a couple years ago, where, as Jeff said, Kirky got hurt and Shooter had to come in, he actually played fairly solid for them. I think he was 5-3, and three, played just under 500 minutes. And if he's playing at that kind of clip over a full 18-game schedule, those are pretty good numbers. He had a 10.3 goals against and a .72 save percentage. Those are pretty good numbers. So if that defense can play lights out defense, as they are often to do, and Adam Shute can give them those types of numbers, then maybe they do have confidence in him. But it just seemed weird to me that in a game that had those kind of crazy runs, that not once, not once, did they give Evan Kirk a 30-second break to put Evan shoot, uh, to put Adam shoot in. I've seen Adam shoot play goaltender for the Victoria Shamrocks. He is a talented goaltender. Just never really gotten the chance to be a number one goaltender. And maybe now is his time. And maybe he will prove all of the doubters wrong. We'll just have to wait and see. Because waiting in the wings is young Cam Dunkerley. And I do not know if he's ready for the spotlight of the NLL. And so if they didn't go to Adam shoot in a game like the one in Halifax last year, how quickly do you think that they would go from Adam shoot to Cam Dunkerley? in a situation like that. And if so, do they have the confidence in Cam Dunkerley to go to him in a situation like that? These are all questions Jeff McComb will have to answer as the new bench boss for the Saskatchewan Rush. Before we get to J.P. Keeley, um, announced, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, um, it was announced by the Vancouver Warriors that Jake Elliott was coming home and he will be the new play-by-play guy for the Warriors. Riding shotgun will be good buddy Brad Chowner. So the dynamic duo has once again been reunited. The boys from Lacrosse Classified will be now your Vancouver Warriors broadcast team. Um, Rush haven't announced who will replace Jake in the booth, but I'm sure they'll find someone suitable and adequate to take over that position. Uh, San Diego Seals announcing that Doug Locker will be their director of analytics and that Bob, five-time NLL champion and Hall of Famer Whipper Watson is is the team's new goaltender coach. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with the Whip on the Seals pod this week. 
Uh, highly recommend you go check it out. Uh, he has some great thoughts on goaltenders in the NLL right now. Um, we talk about his past, some games that stings, some games that he remembers. Uh, it's just an all-around great conversation with one of the classiest guys in NLL history, um, the Whip, Bob Watson. So uh, that's over on the Seals podcast page uh, on YouTube. You can check that out. So I don't think this story got as as much coverage and sort of banter as it should have because it is not something you see every day. A professional athlete giving up his lifelong passion to complete 180 change to something so very different. But now that I have talked to JP and I have done some research on pit crews in auto racing. They indeed are going further away from having mechanics on pit crews to having high-end hyper-athletes on their pit crews. And to listen to JP talk about the minute details that go into being a part of a pit crew and the fact that, you know, the mark is 11 to 12 seconds for a full pit change and how you can make up time just by a foot placement is crazy. I'm now going to be more detail-oriented when I watch things like this, when I watch NASCAR because now it's opened my eyes to a whole other aspect of cars going around circle turning left. So if you didn't know the story, this is the story. J.P. Keeley, former first-round draft pick, former member of the Black Wolves, former member of the Bandits, a really, really genuinely nice guy. Great conversation. But one day when he was watching Netflix, the bug was implanted. And now he is part of a NASCAR pit crew. Talk all about it right here one-on-one on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Joined now by J.P. Keeley. Uh, you may remember him as a member of the Buffalo Bandits, the New England Black Wolves, even maybe way back to when he was a Nepean Knight. And now, well, he's a NASCAR pit crew member. J.P., what's going on, brother? Not much. How about you? Um, I'm still trying to figure out how all of this happened. Um, we're going <laughs> to get into all that. It's, uh, it's a crazy story, and... Um, maybe one not a lot of people know of or had heard about, but um, what's been going on? What have you been doing like in the last, you know, since you last played a lacrosse game before you made the jump to NASCAR? Um, I mean, for starters, I've uh, I've never been a motorsports fan, a NASCAR, whatever. I've never never really been a, uh, like a fan per se or knew anything about it. Um, it kind of is pretty funny how it all happened. I was. Um, you know, I had full intention of playing in the NLL this year, continuing to play lacrosse. Um, and, you know, with, with COVID, there's been the, the locks, lockdowns, you know, on and off and on and off all over the country. So I was, I was sitting uh, watching Netflix with my fiance and uh, we we're watching Formula One Drive Survive. Um, both of us don't know anything about racing, but we heard it was a cool show. So I started watching it. And um, there is the, the engineers were like, are the pit crew for, for formula one. There's like 18 of them. The stops are like really quick. It's like a second. So there's not a lot of moving or, 
or all that. And, and my fiance was talking about it a little bit. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's like ex NFL players and stuff do like NASCAR picker stuff. Uh, and she's like, really? And I was like, yeah, there's like, there got to be a pretty good athlete. I'm pretty sure. So I went on YouTube and I looked up a couple like highlights and stuff. We we're looking at them like, Oh, this is, this is pretty sweet actually. So I like Googled like how to like become one, just like at a, just curiosity. And there's, they have like full combines and stuff. Like you go to regional, you go to like a, a national combine and there's like five, six month programs you do before that combine. And then you get kind of handpicked from teams. That's how a lot of my teammates um, ended up to, to where they are. And, you know, you got NFL players. We've got a, a bunch of uh, like ex-NFL players, CFL players on, on our team. So you're, you're surrounded by some some pretty cool athletes. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I, I you know, I, I looked up all that and kind of saw the process of it. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So I texted in our group chat. Uh, with the, There's a couple of NLL guys. It's all Robert Morse lacrosse players just as a joke, like, think I'm going to be a NASCAR picture athlete was totally like half, like half joking at the time. So the next day I wake up and obviously your phone, you know, nowadays, everything you're Googling or searching your, you know, stuff will pop up with, uh, you know, recent searches or whatever. So I was taking my dog for a walk and a podcast pops up and it said, Sean Pete from uh, pro hockey player to NASCAR pit crew. And I was like, ah, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I was just looking at that yesterday. So I listened to the podcast and ironically enough, he's actually from the Island. He's from Nanaimo. Oh, crazy. Uh, and he, uh, so he played pro hockey, had a run with the, the, uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins through the, uh, farm team for, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and, and had a Calder cup run with them. And his story is really, really cool how he got into the sport. Um, I won't get into that, but if you're interested in his story, his name's Sean Pete, he's got stuff all, all over. Um, so anyways, I, I get in contact with him and, uh, he, like I said, he's an Island boy. And he said he had friends that grew up playing lacrosse, loved the sport. He talked about the gate brothers for a little bit. And, uh, he's like, well, why don't you come down and try out? And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll figure out a time where I get him down. I'll come, I'll come try out and see what, see what everything's, what it's about. So, um, I had to pick my, my brother needed to get home from school. Uh, and he's in Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's about eight hours. And then from there, Charlotte's about another eight hours. So I go down, um, stay in Pittsburgh for two days with my brother, hang out, and then go to Charlotte and go to the tryout. Um, then after that, they, uh, they offered me, they offered me a position. I asked to think about it for a little bit and went home, talked over with my family and, and friends and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up taking it and here I am now. So. <laughs> um, I, I did the same thing. I, I, as soon as I, you know, kind of sort of, we agreed to do this interview, I was like, how the hell do you become a pit crew member? And, and it was the same thing. It was a lot. Originally, it was what I read was, you know, NASCAR teams wanted to take mechanics and turn them into pit crew guys because they knew cars, but they weren't athletes and they were slowing the pit crew, you know, the stops down. And so they thought, oh, let's bring in athletes. And I, I was surprised that there are training camps and there are sort of development programs for people to get into being a pit crew what was the biggest surprise for you, you know, knowing as little as you did about it, but once you kind of got into the environment, what was the biggest surprise? Um, I mean, the, the one thing was when I went there is seeing it live and watching them practice, like uh, it's a, it's a legit operation is it's, it's intense, a huge, huge adrenaline rush. Everything's fast. Everything's in unison. Everything's filmed. Uh, every step you take is broken down. Every, everything's about technique, speed, power, 
you know, so you got these big guys who are, you know, linebackers or running backs and stuff in, in the NFL or big division one schools. And, you know, you're flying around the, uh, you know, flying around the car, hanging tires, the tires are 70 pounds. So they're not light by any means. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to be strong. You got to be fast and to be able to hang those tires. And then the Jack man's jacking up a race car, which is over 3000 pounds. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it that, I mean, I, I didn't realize. And now obviously I'm finding out, which is really cool. And there's also, you know, there's the speed and the power, but then there's also the finesse mm-hmm. uh, part of it too. Like, hang, uh, I'm going to be a carrier and, and hanging a tire when you, when you're coming around, you got to notice things like the spoke pattern um, as you're coming to hang that tire up to adjust quickly to hang, hang that tire correctly, because you got to match up all five spokes with the holes on the wheel. And there's really no room for, you can't mend and on. And, and like I said, those, those tires are big. So you got, you got to make sure you're using, you know, a lot of, a lot of core rotation, strength, power, all that kind of stuff. And then as soon as you get, you're done one job, you're on, on to the next. So it's, it, it kind of, it kind of drew, drew me in, um, just, just seeing it all. And yeah, I was, uh, kind of hooked the, the second I saw it. Um, I read that, you know, the, the elite pit crews are like 11 to 12 seconds. Um, it is fast and furious. Um, what's your crew running? How, how fast are you guys going these days? Um, so I'm, I, right now, like I'm, uh, basically in trying to, how would I explain it? Like kind of like being drafted and then you're going to training camp. So mm-hmm. basically that's, that's what, where I am right now. Um, so I'm, I'm still in the, in the process of, of learning everything and, and, you know, getting reps in, um, and, you know, pra- practicing full live with, with the teams and all, all that kind of stuff, uh, getting ready for next season. So next season will be, um, the start is Daytona 500, which will be February, the second weekend of February, I believe. Um, so that's kind of where, where I am personally. And, and my journey is just getting ready for that. Um, get as many reps in as possible, but how it kind of works is we have, so, uh, at Chip Ganassi racing, we have, uh, four, uh, pit crews that do, uh, cup cars. So you're kind of in four different teams. We have two in-house cars. So the two in-house cars are the cars that we own. Um, so typically your best, uh, pit crew athletes are on those cars. Mm-hmm. And then we have, uh, two development cars, which also race against the two in-house cars. Um, but those are typically like owners or smaller teams that are run. Like, uh, we get contracted out to pit those cars. So their operations are run out of our building and, uh, we pit those cars. So right now we have, uh, Kurt Bush, who is the number one car. He's usually got, uh, the monster two Chastain, the rocking uh, Clover or McDonald's. And then we got our two development cars are the number seven and the double zero. Um, and then on top of that too, those four teams, you'll do your cup series is on Sunday. That's where, that's where the, the big bucks are and where you kind of strive to have your best performances. But then we also do uh, Xfinity races and the truck series. So there's, there's three different uh, sectors of NASCAR um, kind of like, uh, you know, if you had the NHL, you'd have the AHL and then you have like the ECHL. Well, these are all under one one league, all operated by the same company. And and we pit all of the all three of those that might be changing um, as of next year, um, where if you do cup series, you might only be doing cup series. But there's a lot of things changing uh, in this sport going into the next year. So not sure how that all is going to shake out yet, but. You uh, you mentioned the Chip Ganassi racing racing team, you know, for. You know, a guy that is sort of a superficial NASCAR fan, you know, my dad always watched it, so I'm always watching it with him. And I've it always interested in it. It's just 
amazing the speed and and everything that goes along with it but that's a pretty high ranking team how did you get on with them or was that sort of the team that you tried out for right away Oh, so that was uh, who I was talking about earlier from the island. So he mm-hmm. um, he basically runs all of our pick. He's like the head of our pick crew department. So essentially, oh, so he's the guy who he recruits guys to bring in. Um, he he runs the team. Uh, you know, helps with the the film breakdown. You know, basically is the coach and places mm-hmm. guys like in whatever position on on what car. Um, so he's he's the guy who brought me in, and he's uh, you know he's the head guy at Chip Ganassi. We actually got bought in July, so as of next year, I'll be working for Trackhouse. Um, so we'll be um, operating. We'll be the same team and, and everything operating out of the same building, just new new ownership. And actually, Pitbull is the uh, Pitbull technically be my boss because he's the <laughs> owner. <laughs> yeah, he's the owner of Trackhouse. So. Mr. Worldwide and Mr. J.P. Yeah. Keeley in one, one, <laughs> one scenario. Um, you mentioned that they, they, you know, they film everything. They break everything down. As an athlete that watched himself play lacrosse and had to break it down to now being in an NASCAR pit crew, what's the difference in, in how you break down your performances? Or are they similar? Um, they, I mean, they're, they're similar in certain ways, like how, how you're looking at it and, and, and how you uh, kind of take away the positives and negatives, you know, what kind of things you can improve on and what kind of things you did really well uh the difference would be is you're in lacrosse right there's you know the, the game's an hour long you got an hour you know an hour to, to play there's 60 minutes there's a lot can happen in 60 minutes um so you're not you're not focusing on you know extremely little details like the angle of your foot or where you're stepping here where you're stepping there uh, uh you know when you're when hitting a race car, you want to be in that 12 second range. So you got 12 seconds of film basically to, to break down what you're doing. So everything matters in terms of, you know, like uh, how you're placing your tire, where you're placing your tire, uh, how many steps you're taking, where you're planting your foot, uh, how close you were to the car, how close you are uh, coming off the jackman, you know, your teammate. So everything is broken down in inches because, um, you know, in the, in the race, like literally a, a one millisecond can be the difference in one spot and one spot can be the difference in, you know, millions of dollars for your team. So it's, uh, it's, it's high stress, high intensity, but that that's the part I love about it is, is the details. Everything's very detail oriented. So, uh, I guess that'd be the biggest difference is you're instead of, you know, looking for broader, bigger things when you're breaking down a lacrosse game, you're literally looking for, you know, where can I get um, you know, a millisecond or where can I get two milliseconds? Where can I get half a second? You're looking for the smallest little things possible. Within that pressure bubble, what's, what's the, the area that you've improved the most on in your, in your short time? Uh, I'd say the biggest thing, uh, especially as a carrier is, is just getting down. Um, we call it hanging the tire. So getting the tire on, on the hub, that's what mm-hmm. I was talking about with the, um, you know, you have the, the five holes on the tire and you got to match those up with the spokes. Um, so that is like the, that's kind of the finesse part of, of the game is, um, you know, you, you're running from the wall with those tires, you're placing one for the jack man. And as I said, the footwork and all of that is important and the choreography and the timing, but then after you place that tire and you, you're getting to the, the back, right. Um, you got, you got to be aware of what the pattern is and you got to get in position and, and hang that tire effectively. Um, so just, just like you would, you know, take your lacrosse stick and go take shots in the backyard. You know, you're shooting for the top left, you're shooting for the top right. There's different patterns on the tire and you want to be, you know, effective at, at all of those patterns. So, you know, you're practicing, you know, hanging in, in different patterns and different situations 
because not every tire hang is going to be the same. So it's kind of perfecting that art, just like, you know, you go take shots, we go hang tires so we can get that perfected as much as possible. One of the cool things I love about watching NASCAR events is the excitement that pit crews have when they have a clean pit stop. Um, Yeah. The, the family atmosphere within that group of, you know, six to eight guys is pretty intense because you guys have to be, you know, one unit. Um, how cool is it to go from one sport family of lacrosse to a, to a NASCAR family? Uh, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, um, uh, so Sean Pete is like the, like I said, he's, he's the head, him and, and Mike Medcalf and those guys you know, from day one have been, uh, you know, awesome to me, um, treated me uh, amazing and it made the transition for me really, really um, smooth. Uh, and the culture they've created here is, is awesome. Um, everybody in the building is, are, are great human beings from all walks of life. We got, you know, we got guys from all over the country, um, from multiple different sports and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's really cool because, um, you know, obviously you have your car, which is your team, but, uh, we're more of a team in terms of like everyone, everyone together. Cause we all work together. We all practice together. We all help to make each other better. So regardless of what car you're on, everyone's you know, everyone's, everyone's a team, uh, you know, no one's really, you know, no one's really hoping for, you know, somebody to, to fail for their own success. It's like, everyone wants to elevate, um, each each other. So it's, uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. And it's, uh, you know, when they, when they, when the guys get fast runs, yeah, you definitely, you know, guys celebrating and you can hear it just like you would in, uh, you know, scoring a goal in lacrosse. So it's, it's pretty fun. It's definitely, you know, just like, playing lacrosse going out there you know scoring's fun winning games is fun it's it's the it's the same thing it's just a different vehicle you know um are you gonna miss lacrosse i am i am i'm definitely gonna miss lacrosse a lot um it was it was for me really uh really hard decision um like i said i know uh hadn't really planned on on doing this at all just kind of everything fell into place um but yeah, I mean, for it, it was, you know, talking with my family, you know, my dad specifically was, you know, was emotional because it's kind of been, you know, lacrosse has been my life for um, basically ever, as far as I can remember. I mean, anybody who knows me, the first thing that they think of is lacrosse. So I think it kind of surprised a lot of people when I decided to do this. Um, but I, you know, no matter what I do, you know, lacrosse is, has, has given me you know, many amazing things in life. Um, you know, it's, I've had some of my best moments, happiest moments in my life. I've had some of the biggest adversities through injuries and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's taught me a lot. It's given me, you know, tons of friendships and amazing experiences. So for me, no matter what I do, I'll always have a piece of lacrosse with me. Um, you know, obviously I won't be playing in the NLL anymore, which is, uh, which was, which was a tough decision. Um, especially, you know, having opportunities to continue to play, leaving, leaving early was something that was, you know, probably the hardest part of the decision, but, um, yeah, lacrosse will always be a part of my life. You know, my brother just got drafted this year. He's going to, he's going to be playing. He's going to have a nice long career. And, you know, we got plenty, plenty of guys from Ottawa coming up the pipeline. So it's, it's not like I won't be, be around it at all, but, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was a decision that I, I felt like I had to make and, you know, I'm just, I'm just taking that same work ethic and same drive that allowed me to, to go places in lacrosse. I'm just going to take that here and, and run with it and do the same thing. Were you secretly kind of maybe hoping that you'd stick around for one more year so you could chop your brother a couple times in a game? <laughs> Honestly, I really, uh, I really would have liked to play with them rather than, uh, yeah. rather than, than play, play against them. We've, you know, 
we basically lived in the backyard. My dad's finally got some grass growing because we haven't uh, <laughs> we haven't lived there in a couple of years. But we uh, we made that thing a dust bowl. So I mean, we we get to we get to play around a little bit, a couple of games or two games of junior together um, when he got called up and played a ton of back game. We got things shake up. Uh, how special of a moment was it, was it for you? Obviously, you were in the transition to your your NASCAR training camp, but to see Corson get drafted to Rochester, uh, you still you know have bragging rights. You went a couple spots higher, but um, how cool was that to see your brother get his name called? It was it was awesome. It was I mean it was really it was a really good moment um, for me, and I know I know it was for him. Uh, it would have been cool if there you know we could all been there in, in person, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, the draft was, was virtual, but I know he's, you know, he's in good hands with his, with his, uh, the guys at, at RMU. So, um, you know, it was, it was awesome. And, and for us, like the, the one cool thing about, you know, Ottawa growing up is I remember, you know, when I was, when I was younger and, uh, you know, you know, aspired to be a pro lacrosse player, never really thought it was possible because when I was playing, the only guy that was, was there was Jeff Swicky. And then after Jeff, it was Callum. And then, uh, you know, the first guy that I actually knew, and actually saw what, um, you know, in person was, was Kyle Buchanan. So that kind of, you know, gave me some, some hope is like, Hey, this is, you know, kids from Ottawa can actually do this. And and now it's cool to see because before me and, and Fournier and Nick Finley, who all went in the same draft, you know, there's only three before us and then three of us went in the same draft. And now on my brother's team, my brother's team alone, that he grew up his whole life playing with my dad grew up coaching. I think they have seven guys that got drafted in the last two years. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that, you know, when I was looking to go, there's only three and now there's seven at one age group, which is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, I had a chance to, to see the Nepean Knights play at the survivors cup this past summer. And um, all the talk around that organization is they want to make that step to junior a, how big would it be for Ottawa lacrosse for Nepean lacrosse to have a junior a club uh, playing against the best, of the best in the province. I mean, it would be, it would be phenomenal. Like we, we had a junior A team way back in the day, the Ottawa Titans, and you know, they were, they were decently competitive and you know, that's where guys like Kyle Buchanan and Tom Crawford uh, played and all that kind of stuff. And it, it just gives our, our guys a platform to, to show their skills. You know, when uh, my kind of age group, we had to go other places. You couldn't really, you couldn't really stay, you know, you had to go other places to kind of get respect or, or get seen. And, you know, we, we got enough talent at home that, you know, we should we should have a, a junior A team. And I think, you know, what we're going to if we do get one, we're going to turn some heads and maybe scare some of those those uh, organizations in Toronto. Because I think I think in years to come, you're going to see Ottawa is going to be going to be pumping out some of the best lacrosse players there ever has been. Because there's some some young kids right now that you guys are going to see in a couple of years that are absolute studs. So and maybe in a few years some of those kids want to be nascar pick crew guys who knows um what's <laughs> yeah, next what's next maybe. for you brother what what uh when's the next race when's the next outing for you and and the team um so we actually have a a race just down the street here from where i'm living uh this weekend uh the roval 400 i believe so that'll be on, on sunday um, for me, it's just, just putting in work, getting as many reps in as possible and, and getting ready for that, uh, that first race in, in February, um, for Daytona, just, uh, you know, like I said, it took, 
you know, lacrosse has given me everything. One of those things is the, the ability to work hard and kind of see, you know, your dreams come true. And, you know, now I have a, have a different uh, set of goals that I'm after. I'm just going to take that same tenacity and, and attack it head on and just, you know, give everything I got. And, you know, you guys will be seeing me at the, the track next season. <laughs> um, you mentioned you weren't much of a car guy before all of this. Are you considered a car guy now? <laughs> Uh, I honestly still don't know anything about cars or how, how to throw tires on really fast. So, <laughs> yeah, That's if, if the car man. breaks, if the car, if anything breaks in the car, I can't. I'm sorry, yeah. I got no help. You have to tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see someone stranded on the side of the road, you can fix their tire, but you can't do anything else. Exactly, you got a flat on your guy. So <laughs> you got anything wrong with the engine? Oh. You're. Uh, you're out of luck. Yeah. Uh, JP, this has been awesome, man. Uh, what an incredible story. What a, a wicked journey. Um, I know everyone will be following along and hopefully we can uh, see you chugging some milk at the Indy or, or breaking down walls, down walls at Daytona. Uh, super awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations and best of luck. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. There he is, J.P. Keeley from the Chip Ganassi Racing Team. Still so wild, man. But very technically advanced part of the sport that I don't think, you know, people just think, you know, take a couple lug nuts off, put a tire on, in and out, you're done. It is high-paced, high-intensity. It's not safe, especially if you're running around the outside and you got cars whipping down pit row i know they gotta go a little bit slower but still that has got to be one of the craziest turnarounds of a career i've ever seen but i want to wish jp the best of luck uh, with the chip ganassi racing team hopefully you know come daytona um he is indeed on uh, one of the main cars and doing his thing but just wild how quickly that seed can get planted and how quickly the decision was made and he's jumped in full steam ahead and he will miss the game of lacrosse he will miss the road trips he'll miss the fun but he's got a new sports family now and it's the nascar family and we all know that he's going to fit in just perfectly and who knows Maybe this will create a new pocket of NLL-focused NASCAR diehards. I'm sure there's already a bunch, but this might create some more. Some fans of J.P. Keeley want to check him out, see what he's doing, and they start watching NASCAR. So, great little collabo, and maybe if he, you know, does really well and gets sort of some notoriety on the pit crews, they'll start doing, you know, little stories on him and his career path from pro lacrosse player to NASCAR wheel runner. Uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks to JP Keeley. Thanks to Jeff Bacomb. And as always, thanks to you, our fans. Always here, always listening, and always giving feedback. Appreciate you as always. If you want to find me on Twitter, it is at offthecrossbar. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find the show on Instagram, at otcbpodcast. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an apple. I was